Well, thanks so much, Rog, for joining me today. Super excited to talk about your path and your journey uh, before 8X Ventures and, and getting into to deep tech and, and everything that that involves. So before we get into 8X Ventures and everything you're doing now, talk about your career path and journey to even get to this point. Uh, first of all, Grant, thank you for the time. And this is great conversation. I have had some time to listen to your podcast. It's just great. Coming to about my career journey, I spent the first 10 years of my post-university days doing management consulting. And I have worked across 11 different countries by now doing management consulting. Uh, A big part of that was spent dealing with the government. And a big part of that was trying to figure out what are the policies, frameworks, and grant mechanisms very often for the startups and the SMEs. And that always got me very excited about how do startups operate, how do SMEs operate. Post that, I spent some time working for a company called Kareem, which got acquired by Uber for $3 billion, $3.1 billion to be specific. And I worked there as far as the, of, as the director for strategy. Very, very exciting role. And post that, I worked for a company called 500 Global, which is a global venture capital firm with approximately $2 billion in their AUM. Very exciting experience as well. So that's a summary of my experiences. And after those experiences, I was very excited that the frontier technology or the deep technologies are going to disrupt and how they are already disrupting the the way we see the world. And I realize there is a gap in the market, especially when it comes to the Asian market and the European market. There's a lot of innovation and research happening, but a lot of that cannot see the light of the day because they are not funded as much as they should. And the belief is that these are the companies that are going to change the world to make it better, faster, more efficient, and sustainable. And these companies are going to be profitable. With that belief, we started 8X Ventures in this January. And we have made about 11 investments so far. We are in the process of making five more by the end of this year. And talking about D-Tech, I think in our, you know, our first conversation a few days ago, you had to find, I thought you defined it sort of really well. And I kind of wanted to, to define it again, you know, exactly like, you know, we hear deep tech in, in these different avenues, but how do you define deep tech, right? Like when somebody you know, is not familiar with this space and, and asks you what it is, how, how do you define it versus tech startups in general, right? And investing in startups because there's sort of a, a much more longer roadmap, right? To how you kind of defined it. Absolutely. So we define technology companies in three buckets. They are simple tech or soft tech. That is the first bucket. Second bucket is the deep tech. And third bucket is the lab tech. Now, soft tech is something that if I have to oversimplify, you and I can sit down and if we can build it in three months, the same product as someone else is doing. Yeah. That's probably a soft tech because there is very limited to no uh, technology mode that is stopping us from building that. So that is a soft tech for us. Deep tech, it means something that you and I, it's very un- unlikely that we can build it in three months. Mm-hmm. It might take a year or two years at the bare minimum, but that is what differentiates soft tech from the deep tech. The technology itself is mode. 
and in some in a lot of cases for the deep tech they are protected by the by intellectual property patents trademarks and different uh, different ways of protecting themselves you might be able to build a comparable technology but not the same technology because of the ip is protecting it so that is the deep tech and the third bucket is which is the lab tech is something that will take years of mm-hmm. research yeah. before it can hit the ground running or before it can be commercialized so we don't we 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 appreciate lab tech we appreciate soft tech but we invest only in the deep tech why why did you choose deep tech i guess what got you fired up to specifically hone in on this you know part of the startup ecosystem cuz i mean you had experiences across all areas and sectors what what attracted you about deep tech the most there are two broad reasons first is the market gap opportunity reason and second is my personal belief so let me first start with the market gap and the opportunity part of it if you look at the us market or the european market or the china market approximately 20 to 30% of the startups that are getting funded right now are deep tech this number was significantly lower a couple of years back it was somewhere around 5 to 10% depending on which part of the world you're looking at so us europe and china have successfully transitioned from being a soft tech heavy investment uh, countries or regions to focusing a lot more on the deep tech which is 20 30% however if you look at the asian market specifically indian market bangladesh market singapore market right now only 5 to 10% depending on which country you're looking at only 5 to 10% of the funding goes to the deep tech markets deep tech startups which shows that there is a significant gap in the or the opportunity to have serious conversation with the founders at a sensible valuation because when there is too much dry powder the valuation shoots up significantly in the indian market or the singapore market the valuations are still very sensible when it comes to a deep tech space yeah so that is the first rational for doing the deep tech second rational is the belief or the passion the belief is that a lot of a uh, belief is that there's too much competition there's too much work happening in the apps or the software space but they do make our life better but probably they make the lives better for 5% of the people in the world that are actually have access to those apps they have smartphones they have issues on the faster food delivery they have they have issues for faster cabs but there's a remaining 95% of the population which are barely has barely benefited from the technology progress yep so now there's a huge huge impact that you can make in the world by launching deep tech solutions deep tech can change how the factories operate and deep tech can change how manufacturing sector works which which is the practically the biggest employer in the world this is exactly what i wanted to get into is sort of the use cases because i think sometimes this when i think a deep tech is is around like sort of space or cybersecurity there there's not this sort of the sense that it can penetrate all the different markets so like i guess talk about let's talk about like you know food and agriculture or or climate you know finance how can the deep tech in these different sort of normal sectors that we sort of all know play a role in getting that 95% right sort of within technology benefiting sort of their lives like it has for the 5%. Let me start with the food 
you st- you took the example of food and you asked the question of how food can be impacted with the deep tech everyone has been talking about the challenge of using meat or eating meat everyone talks about how much global warming we are leading to by eating uh, by uh, hum- by eating animals if i may however there has not been any successful solution for the last decades and we've been talking about it for decades at least since i was born i have been listening to the same argument arguments and still there is no solution however in the last few years there has been so many deep tech solutions so many companies that have come up with the solutions on how can you make meat without really killing animals can you actually uh, yep. offer meat substitutes without really killing animals can you manufacture meat from the air can you manufacture meat from the plants there are so many so much research that has gone into that and the the solutions that are coming out and some are some of them are still at the infancy state but they are going to make a big big difference in how our lives are same also applies when we talk about food and the food security there has been so much research and innovation around how we can improve the the quality of the food that is manufactured how can we do better organic farming there's so much deep tech research that has gone into that without that research and without the impact of those research of those startups everybody uh, knows that the food that we are eating even if it's vegetables there's so much pesticide in that it's actually not good for our body now these are the deep tech companies which are talking about the air based meat the deep tech companies which are talking about improving the productivity of uh, of farming or improving the quality of the production from farming these are the companies that are going to make the real change in the food industry and with that belief i i, I am very convinced that if we make the right investment with the right startups the right founders targeting the right impact we are going to change the world for finance everyone talks about the fintech and there are so many fintech apps right now available yeah. in the market but if you if you talk to any of them you will realize almost all of them are talking about the top 5% of the population in the world that have access to the smartphones that live in uh, fancy cities now yes there is a there has been a lot of work that has gone into that but what about the remaining 95% of the population that lives in rural areas that don't have smartphones how exactly are we going to solve the financial problems for these uh the for, for these individuals they are they have been some deep tech solutions which are the way the technology is not so complex um, but they have still built solutions using sms using your geolocation on on not so smartphones as well on how it will work for not so smartphones how it will work uh, uh, how we will make sure that they have access to the finance how will we do the credit checks how can we reduce the time to get to get the credit checks for the the rural population so there has been a lot of research and algorithms that have been built to to get the data and manage the data of these population it's not the hard tech but yes building that algorithm and collecting and and collating and managing that information is a lot of work uh, for the un- underbanked population that is actually a deep tech that i'm very personally very excited about and they it is making a lot of big difference another example in finance which is related to hedge funds is that a lot of trading now is impacted by social media a lot of individual traders including the hedge fund managers are keeping an eye on the social media when they are making some trades 
think about it there are more than a billion posts that are coming out uh, on facebook on twitter on instagram on different forums on reddit it's almost impossible for any hedge fund trader or any individual trader to process all the information by himself or herself and make trading decisions based on that now there are there's a startup that we invested in it's called zenpulse it's based out of uk they process 500 million social media information or social social media data points on a daily basis and summarize them in a simple charts that can help traders see what exactly is social media talking about for which company what are the influencers talking about what are the individuals talking about and what are the bots talking about and it's a it's a massive disruption on how overall finance operates so that is uh, another area where how deep tech is disrupting the finance moving to how uh, deep tech is disrupting the climate tech or the clean tech areas we invested in a startup called solanas what they do is they 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 built simple robots to clean human waste tanks which is called septic tanks for the last decades or centuries the septic tanks were cleaned manually and a lot of humans die in the process of cleaning it because of the uh, because of the gases that are released from the human waste they came up with simple robots that are changing how the septic tanks are cleaned how the human waste is cleaned and processed which which solves a massively big problem and it's highly profitable business so these are the kind of solutions that are changing the world and are being profitable i'm a huge fan of of all of these innovations and i think they have to be done i i'm wondering when sort of founders or even local populations right let's take the example of the of the the waste management and sort of the the robots that are sort of you know taking over that that sort of dangerous job but there are people that did that job and, and so now they don't they are not employed now in that same job is there a, i guess there's always a rough transition right when you go from you know horses to cars is a lot of you know yeah. a lot of tough time for so there there's always going to be people sort of left behind quote unquote but is there a way that there can be a a less sort of catastrophic transition to sort of technology disrupting these industry, industries where it brings along the people that it had traditionally left behind when these transitions sort of happened right like what happens to that sanitary worker like it might not sound like a great glamorous job right but it is a job that they get paid and they can feed their family or whatever it may be right and now they they perhaps don't have that anymore then what do they do how do founders think about these sort of things when when you speak with them do you think about that as an investor so absolutely this is a very very valid point so let me first address the question specifically for the startup called solanas and then let me address the question in general across the deep tech for solanas the company that we talked about the robots to clean the sewage or septic tanks they instead of deploy now to deploy this technology also to deploy these robots what they are doing is they are training the human cleaners on how to use this robots right so instead of humans going yeah. inside the same humans are now using the robots that goes inside and and does the cleaning love it and does the processing so the robot and the or the machine is also going to be operated and they are spending a lot of time energy and effort to upskill which is not a massive upskilling uh, to upskill the existing workforce so that they can be redeployed so they are very socially conscious of the impact of displacement of people because they this is a job that they have been doing for decades so that is the case for solanas specifically 
moving to industry in general it's a very valid point that deep tech often disrupts the entire industry and it may sometimes changes what jobs are relevant and what jobs are not relevant in future and yes founders often think about it that which jobs they are they are disrupting how many people will be will be disrupted having said that it's not always possible to take care of every individual that will be that has been disrupted because of the deep tech the invention of mobile sure. phone this dis- uh, disrupted uh, a huge amount of population that were of employees that were deployed for line line phones and a lot of those are not even relevant anymore so i uh, even though i appreciate and respect the founders who are try- who do think about it it's not almost always possible to take care of the population it is great that some of the startup founders that we are dealing with they are they do talk to the governments about it and mm. they want to keep government in the loop and they they are very open to working with the government on how this population can be redeployed and it is happening right now in in a few startups that we are talking about but as, as i said you are right it does change the value system it just it changes the the overall ecosystem the value chain very often the, the entire deep tech solution and it is not almost always possible to to redeploy the entire workforce it, so sure yeah sure. that's one of the downsides that we are conscious of so the the one thing i wanted to to touch on was uh, i was reading a little bit about what you and your team wrote and, and a statistic that was kind of kind of eye raising was that there're more than 30,000 deep tech startups globally Mm-hmm. and that that kind of took me by surprise a little bit and my first initial thought was like is that too many because <laughs> we're we're, t- we're kind of dispersing talent right and kind of whether we we have that and then we have massive talent working on big cuz like you said these are big ideas yep. these are long term sort of missions and goals it, it it seems like that is a lot it seems like you could probably solve these problems with 10,000 startups right but but have that talent you know be focused on you know 10 being in 10,000 startups rather than 30,000 <laughs> what's your thoughts there first of all i 100% agree that uh, 30,000 deep tech startups is a big number globally let me also put a word of caution the absolute number of startup practically means nothing to me and i say this because about 80% of startups and that applies across every sector every function every stage about 80% of the startups are non investable and mm. they are mm-hmm. also they're not passionate about it they are not sure if they really want to do it their heart is not there gotcha so so the likelihood of them not surviving beyond couple of months or a maximum couple of years is it's very low likelihood that they they're going to be they're going to exist after a few years now that leaves you with the remaining 20% now within the remaining 20% also there are very few that will be able to achieve the the product market fit that they're talking about so because even though their heart is probably in the right place and the product is amazing the world may not be ready to adopt the technology at at that at that stage like we always say that mobile phones were actually invented in 1988 or something i guess mm-hmm. but they did not Uh, right. no one used it before i think 2000 approximately roughly 1995 2000 depending on which country we are talking about so, so so the players who actually came up with the mobile phones couldn't were not able to uh, take it, take benefit of the research or the invention so a lot of times you actually come up 
with the deep tech solutions that are great, but you are way ahead of the time. And because you are way ahead of the time or way behind the time, uh, your, your likelihood of survival is very low. So my point is out of the 20% also, there are very few where the time is right, where the timing is right to to, su- to succeed. And the, and the ones typically that don't succeed, uh, they either create the pathway for others and or they become part of other startups success right. story and help out each other. So, so yes, you are right. The number is a lot. And they, is there a way to consolidate them to increase the horsepower? But it, it is it is it happens automatically i don't think uh, anyone can force it and and i don't think it sh- anyone should force it. it it will happen automatically and it is happening automatically i want to touch on one other sort of sector that we haven't touched on quite yet and that's sort of health and how deep tech and is evolving in this sort of sector what are you seeing uh from a healthcare point of view we kind of talked about of tapping into finance and food. Those are two obviously pillars that can really disrupt and help the 95% that haven't sort of been brought into the tech ecosystem quite yet. But then health is going to be, you know, health and education, I guess, are the other two that really fit that pyramid of what you need for, you know, a thriving society and economy. What is deep tech doing sort of in the health space? Let me start by saying health tech is practically, or, or and there are different sub-segments around health tech, med tech, biotech, they are practically have the most amount of research that we get to see uh, as our deep tech venture capital firm. The amount of innovations that are happening in that space are just, are just it's just mind-blowing. However, the one of the challenges with the health tech, med tech, and the biotech space is that there is a huge uh, and a very long gestation period because a lot of research requires a lot of clinical trials before they can be actually be used. And that process is a really long process. It can take as long as 10 years in some cases. Now, it requires the amount of patient capital that is required to do that and the amount of government support that is required to do that is massive, which is not easily available in both the case for patient capital and the government support, which is not always available. So that is one part of the interesting problem for health tech or the med tech space. The other part of the problem is even if if some of the technologies have been proven and they have done a great job, the human adoption, i.e. adoption by the patients on some of the technology, people are, are very skeptical for the initial years or sometimes decades before that technology can be applied on them. Just to give you an example, if I am if I need to go through a surgery, I want an actual human doctor performing the surgery on me. Even though it has been proven and there are robots, surgical robots which are available, which can actually do a better job. There are also solutions available where a doctor in a remote location, which is probably more qualified than the doctor available on site, can do a better surgery remotely. But still, more often than not, I personally will always choose the doctor available on site to perform the surgery on me. I don't want a robot. I don't want a remote doctor performing surgery on me. Now, now th- th- this is the mental block that that is often the challenge for health tech, med tech, and biotech. And that's why uh, patient capital is required, not just for the regulatory purposes, and also to change the mindset and the behavior of individuals that are, that are involved or, or that are where you make the money. The third challenge I also see in that sector is more often than not, scaling certain parts of medtech, biotech 
and health tech solution isn't that straightforward, uh, especially when there's a deep tech involved. You will go, or more often than not, you will go hospital by hospital to make the sale. And then those hospitals will actually, they are getting reached out by uh, another 100 startups selling different solutions, everyone claiming to make their lives better. They have their own skepticism about each of the technology that people are trying to sell them. So these hospitals or clinics are also getting overwhelmed with the different technology, which makes them very skeptical. And they have been bruised before. There have been cases uh, where people claim that the technology is not is working and uh, it, it wasn't working. So medtech, health tech, biotech is definitely, definitely a very complex area for all deep tech VCs. I wish there were um, many more players than they are right now. Uh, unfortunately, they are not. US has started to make some progress in that area, but other countries are, are still behind that. I want to end a little bit on just your perspective as an investor and you know, just in, in advice you would give uh, emerging founders of how to be investable. You know, you had mentioned before, you know, there's 30,000, but truly only like 20% is, you know, is probably actually really putting in work, building a company that is actually investable. What are some of those key points that make an early stage startup? We could just talk about deep tech since we're already there. What are some of those key variables that make it investable at at an early stage, right? What are some of the things that founders and teams should think about when they're going out to, to raise Absolutely. There are two things that I almost always say, and they are nuanced based on industry and the stage and the kind of startup we are talking to. But there are two common things that almost always are there. Have more than one founder for the deep tech company. Running a deep tech company is is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And having a trusted partner is very, very important where you can bounce off ideas and then you can also share the load on who goes out in the market and who stays in the lab to doing the research or performing a lot of thinking that is required. So having more than one person leading the company is very, very beneficial as long as you trust each other and there's a clear role split. That is one. Second common advice that I almost always give is talk to your customers, talk to investors, get bruised early as many times as possible uh, one out of the uh, like one out of your one member out of your team preferably one of the co-founders has to be almost always in the market getting bruised getting beaten up by the customers potential customers potential investors and that will teach you almost everything that you need to know to make yourself investable listen to the conversations Listen to your customers, listen to the potential investors, keep listening. And the more you listen, the more you will learn from them. More often, almost always, I ask this question to the startups when they say, we are talking to customers, we are talking to investors. I ask them, have you spoken to 100 plus customers or not? Have you spoken to 10 plus investors or not? Generally, generally, not always, at least Talking to 100 customers give you a real sense of what is the market need and talking to the and talking and listening to 10 investors give you a understanding of how to be investable. If you have not crossed that threshold, go out in the market and cross that, that threshold as soon as possible. Listen to them, make notes and take action on that. that that's all you need to do to make yourself investable. Uh, yeah, that's... 
Amazing, amazing perspective. Do you think that's, I want to just stay on this just real quick as, as we sort of wind it down, is that because you've been across all these different startup sectors, right? Maybe early stage software, or early stage, you know, fabric, or early stage food, whatever it may be, you know, soft tech, deep tech, whatever. Do those same, do you think those same principles apply, you know, for any type of, of startup? I, I love the point of, of a co-founder. I just think it's such a, it's probably one of the hardest things to do, right? Is to find like a really trusted co-founder that you, you really can, go through the trenches with, right? And, and, and be with for years and kind of go through those good and bad times together and, and come out. It, to me, it's such an important, such an important aspect of, of building an impactful company, but a very hard one. Do you think that applies to not just deep tech, but even soft tech or, or just as you went through your career, has that philosophy always stayed the same on those sort of two points? So almost always I insist on these two points irrespective of technology or industry. However, there are some success stories of a single founder leading the company and doing a great job. I, I, I would not say that it's not possible that you are a single founder. If you are a very charismatic leader, you might be able to actually pull off a great, great startup into a multi-billion dollar company. But the life does get easier when you have a co-founder that is very well trusted. And a very often, more often than not, I always ask this question, why do you not have a co-founder? If you don't have a co-founder, you yeah. better have a good answer to why you don't have a good, a good co-founder. Is it because you could not have anyone else believe in your vision? Or is it because you are charismatic enough? What is the reason you don't have a co-founder? If you have a good reason you don't have a co-founder or you don't need a co-founder, it's okay to not have a co-founder. But if the reason for not having a co-founder is that you cannot find anyone or you had someone who left you midway, uh, no one believes in your vision, then I'm, I'm concerned. If you can't find anyone, any of your friends and family to believe in yourself, how do you expect the investors to to uh, believe in you. And I'm not saying that it's always a bad sign, but it, it's something that I look out for very carefully. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was an amazing conversation. I learned I learned a ton. Is there anything you want to mention sort of about the future and, and sort of what your mission and vision for, for the next, I guess, decade will be with the fund? I mean, what does, what does success look like? for you and the fund, obviously returning capital to, to investors is, is obviously top of mind, but are, are there other successes that you would like to, to see occur? There are financial metrics that we keep track of, and there are non-financial metrics that we keep track of as part of, of our firm. Financial metrics are pretty standard. We need to generate um, uh, IRR beyond a certain level. We need to be able to generate certain amount of threshold returns for to our investors. And all those things are pretty standard across, I think, most of the VCs, if not all. The only thing that we add to the vision is that we must have at least a few handful startups that we can go out a decade later from now and say that they have actually changed like 100,000 jobs or make, made life so much better for people that uh, prime ministers of different countries are inviting them to honor them and thank them that they yeah. solved a massively big problem which has been there 
for decades or centuries and they managed to solve it with their technology and they made the world a better place to live uh having that in our portfolio is is a massive win for us well, again thank you so much for taking the time uh, really truly appreciate it i know you're busy thank thank you grant and it's it's an amazing talking to you uh, as i said in the beginning your podcasts are doing amazing and please keep doing them i'm sure i'm sure a lot of people will get to learn a lot from your podcast thank you for your time and we'll stay in touch